Rejection most times is the redirection we need to unlock our truest potential. Life puts us in some uncomfortable and unexpected situations despite our efforts and plans. So how do we look at failures as opportunities? How do we deal with life's uncertainties, identify some losses as wins, all while not labeling ourselves as total losers or failures? You'll find out right here on Redirection with Terry Carell. Hey you, hi everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Redirection with Terry Carell. I think each time, each week I speak to uh, a new guest, I feel even more excited about meeting the other one. But more importantly, I'm more excited about the impact that they'll make, this, their stories and how they will resonate with you. I want to take the opportunity to thank those of you who have left, whether it is your ratings, your reviews, whether you have subscribed, whether you have liked, whether you've dropped some, some messages of encouragement I really do appreciate it and uh, people who I also appreciate are my partners so this podcast is brought to you by MasterCard in association with Heineken we always want to remind you that no matter what life throws your way you should always look for those priceless moments and always remember that now you can. Again, I am Terry Carell, in case you do not know me. I am your Jamaican girl, and you can get to know me across social media at Terry Carell. If you want to get to know a little bit more about me intimately, you can visit my website, terrycarell.com. And if there is someone in your circle, in your community, or your tribe who you think would be the perfect guest, visit the website, Go to contact us and let us know who it is you are recommending. If you want to also you know, be a part of the conversation or if you want to make any posts about this episode, please go ahead and use the hashtag TK Redirection. Tony Aiken is in the building with sign language interpretation. Love you, Tony. Thank you for serving the deaf community. So without further ado, I want to jump right into our guest for today. When you think about the poster child for what masculinity probably looks like in a normal society, this is probably the guy. Tall, dark, ripped, strong, fit. But his journey and navigating and being a military veteran and what he has witnessed and experienced comes with a lot of challenges, loss, grief, and mental health issues. How do we deal with those and how do we navigate? He is going to tell us all about it. Who will be in the redirection seat? Damian Dixon, military veteran. Season two of the Redirection with Terry Carell podcast is brought to you by MasterCard in association with Heineken 00. Damian, thank you so very much for being in the redirection seat. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for having me. I am so appreciative of you just kind of taking the time. And I'm sure when the listeners and the viewers hear your story, they're going to be extremely appreciative of your time as well. Um, for context, just yes. to set the, the tone, yes. I met you unofficially, yes. indirectly in May. It was during Mental Health Awareness Month. Yes. And um, I... I went in the capacity, I was invited to the Bellevue Hospital, which mm -hmm. for our viewers who may not be familiar with Jamaica, it is our, our psychiatric ward or mm -hmm. hospital where um, we have patients here. And I was invited as a speaker, as a reader, because I am an author. And so because they're starting their tree, their, their lending library, excuse yes, me, yes. and they had this beautiful 
U Park that is open to the public. I went there. I was invited with three other authors. We did some readings and we donated our books. And then on the agenda, of course, you were not there, but we heard, hey, there's a, a gentleman by the name of Damian Dixon who would yes. just like to say a few words. And you got on the mic, you spoke for maybe four minutes, and yes. I think it was one of the most profound four minutes I have ever heard in my life. And oh, that's when I said, you. yeah, I said, I have to get you um, in the seat. So uh, you are a military veteran. Yes, yeah, US military. First question I'm going to ask you, is yeah. this where you saw yourself? No, not, not really. I didn't see myself um, actually being in the Army. I, you know, I was actually on my way to um, Syracuse University, and I met in a terrible car accident. Um, and then I just saw the military as a second option. Really? Yeah. I was on, right. actually on a football scholarship to nice. Syracuse. That's yeah. why you... <laughs> <laughs> so that is how you were redirected. All right, but, yes. all right so let me start off younger. Mm -hmm. Because you are Jamaican, yes, Jamaican born, but then you left. So talk, so carry me back to young Damien, um, what you were like, and of course you leaving. Um, so I grew up uh, mostly in Kingston. My dad was a police officer, so mm -hmm. we ended up moving to Clarendon. Um, I attended Clarendon College. The Clarendon College. The Clarendon <laughs> College, you know. Um, played football there. Um, probably the best time of my life. Was, nice. Was spent there, but then I ended up migrating to mm -hmm. the U.S., what was that transition like? You know, it was a, it was not very smooth. I went during the winter time, so I showed up. You know, you know, Dad. You know, it's rough, and I showed up in shorts and sneakers <laughs> in February, right? And then I stepped out, and it was freezing. I was like, "What's going on? I Why am I here? Yeah, plane. exactly. Put me exactly. on the next plane back to Jamaica. You know, but you know, over time, um, you know, playing, playing football there as well, and just kind of getting back mm -hmm. into school and getting, you know, acclimated in New York, meeting friends that were also who have also migrated there as well. Yeah, and so that made it easier for me. Well, I was yeah. just going to ask you because sometimes we've heard uh, persons who migrate, especially when they're young. Yes, you have your friends, you have your linkies, you have your paris yes. here in Jamaica, and mm -hmm. then you are transplanted. You sound different yes. from everyone, yes. but the fact that you went to New York, where there, you said New York, yes, you said New, New York, York, right? Yes, so there yes. are more Jamaicans there. So it, it probably feels a little bit more like, except for the weather, a little <laughs> bit more like home. Yeah, man, definitely. And um, you know, because I was playing football mm -hmm. there, um, I would have met some of my friends who have migrated, playing for other high schools. Nice. So then we just started to link back up, and you know, so that as I said, that made it easier mm -hmm. because I still had that nucleus of Jamaican friends beautiful and then i kind of just you know incorporated different you know different friends from different cultures nice um you know so the transition was kind of it was kind of smooth in a sense you so, know so so talk to me as you are you're playing in football mm -hmm. you're now in a different school um were you doing school um academics doing well getting into trouble being a mischief maker a little, maker, bit, little, little, bit, little <laughs> bit of everything yeah a little bit little bit of everything um, to be honest, the, the curriculum to me in, in, in high school in New York was a lot easier than being in Jamaica. Where Word. In Jamaica, you know, sometimes it's very comprehensive, right? So you're taking a test. Sometimes you have to know what's on it from first form, second form. <laughs> and you're like, in, in America, it was like study chapter nine. Um, wow. And this is your test, right? So for me, that was easy compared to coming from Jamaica, right? Wow, for so, the class. Yeah, so then I have time to give a lot of trouble because... <laughs> School, uh, which I was given trouble in Jamaica anyway, but yeah. now you know, so but 
I, I did I did well there. I mean, Clarendon College gave me a good foundation nice. um, to succeed, not only in high school there, but in the military and just throughout life. It was a very good, solid foundation. Beautiful. Um, so it, it was, high school was fairly easy for me, I say, in America. So high school is nice. You have your friends, yeah, you're still playing your sports. Yeah, you're learning different cultures work. as well. You know, I think the high school that I went to, they were like... 66 different languages they spoke in that Ooh. school yeah so you're learning you have a good base of familiarity with the jamaicans but you also get a chance now to assimilate assimilate and, and learn different cultures and nice. learn different things so it was i was just taking everything in beautiful you know? yeah so you decide that okay we're coming to the end of high school like everyone else you yes. know we say okay which college or which university yes. or or rather what career do we hope to pursue what was your, your I dream? didn't have a particular career to pursue mm -hmm. I just knew I wanted to go to college right and I would have been scouted by a couple colleges already so mm -hmm. the, the big decision was which college to attend mm -hmm. and I think I narrowed it down to University of Maryland because I had some friends going there or Syracuse University so um, unfortunately right before I was supposed to to go um, I, a drunk a drunk driver hit me off my bike and so I was I was out for about two or three months, which that was a window to go into to tryouts and all of that of stuff. Of course, so, and to be recruited or whatever yeah, the case is. Yeah, so then it was, um, what was next? It was a military, so I, I decided to to go to the military. So instead. you saw your dream deferred? Yes, In a definitely. sense, this is definitely not how you saw yourself no, starting no, off not. university. You would no, have been healthy, wanted, strong, yeah, fit. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely wanted to have the college experience. You mm -hmm. know, worse when my friends would be like, hey, we're doing this, we're doing that. And, you know, I'm in a tank somewhere, you know, getting it in, right? Right. So it, it was it was rough, but then I'm, I wouldn't change it. If I had to do it all over again, that's the way I would have done it. All right, so you are redirected, which is, which is, which is kind of the common theme in mm -hmm. the stories from a lot of our guests, the fact that you kind of have an idea of what you want, but somehow life just kind of says, yeah, no, I have other yes. plans. Yeah. So you look at the army as this opportunity to see something, try something new. Um, what, what to you at that time did the army represent? The army at that time represented structure, right? Mm -hmm. It represented structure. It represented an opportunity to found the expand on the, the assimilation. Because, you know, I told you in high school, it was good to, you know, meet different cultures and all of that. But I wanted to now go beyond the borders of the U.S. And the Army offered that opportunity. Also, I would have lost my scholarship to pay for college. And the Army also offered that opportunity as well. So for me, it was a win-win, a, a mm -hmm. no-brainer in a sense, mm -hmm. to, to go and do that. And I was actually recruited um, playing high school. There was an Army recruiter, which they all lie, right? <laughs> So he came to me and he was like, yeah, you're pretty good. You know, you, you, know, you could just join the army and play, play football the whole time. I was like, what? Sounds too good to be true yeah, because so it is too good to be I true. Didn't, I didn't kick a football for like five years. And I just, they tricked me, you know, but yeah, hey, you know, as I said, no regrets. If I had to do it over tomorrow, you I'd would. do it the same way. Yeah, man, definitely. So you decide to go to the army because it has the benefits that you would have lost. Yes. Um, it has structure and it mm -hmm. gives you opportunities to see the world. Yes. Did you, did you analyze mm -hmm. the other parts of joining the army? No, I didn't, I didn't think. Because at first, at that point, we weren't really at co in a lot, lot of conflict at that time. We had some other sm small conflicts, but nothing like Iraq and Afghanistan. Mm. You know, we had, you know, I think we'd have had Desert Storm, but that's kind of before me, but we had Panama and stuff like that. But nothing 
crazy, you know, um, since the 9-11 type stuff. So that wasn't really a big thing in the forefront of, mm-hmm. of joining, you know, mm-hmm. in consideration for joining. When I met you, um, when you spoke uh, mm-hmm. at, at the lectern at Bellevue Hospital, you spoke extremely passionately about mental health awareness. Yes. And not just mental health awareness as, a, as an umbrella issue, mm-hmm. but specifically in men, understanding the social and cultural constructs. Yes. The stigma that is attached to men who say, I need help. Yes. I need therapy. I need a shrink. Yes. Um, talk to me how your experience in the army, um, what you saw, felt, how this has helped you to become an advocate for mental health awareness, especially as it relates to men. Yeah, so, um, and that's, that's the main reason I'm here, right? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, that, you know, also to meet you and, and, mm-hmm. and you know, share the space with you, but I really feel like I went through what I went through so I can share it with other men mm-hmm. who are going through, I mean, not just men, but as you said, specifically men, mm-hmm. right? Because I feel like it's a rough space to be in as a man, right? As you, your outlet is your friends who don't have the capacity to understand what you're going through or what you're trying to say to them. And also sometimes female partners who you feel might exploit that mm-hmm. information and use it against you. Um, so vulnerability on either side on is either just side. So you're, you'd you're, rather you're not. in this, this weird space, kind of in limbo in a sense, um, and you're, you're kind of alone, you know, it's, it's a lonely path to be on. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of issues we have in our society comes from men not getting help or not treating um, themselves right when it comes to mental health. And, and having and, and taking care of that intentionally. So, exactly. talk, so talk to me about, you get to the army, um, talk to me about, you know, just certain things that happened that really made you start to realize the effect so, it was having on you. Yeah, definitely. So I think um, I, I went to Honduras. I was stationed in Honduras. Entonces, ¿hablas español? Un poquito. Un poquitico. And while I was there, I fell through a building and I was you know, significantly hurt, severely hurt. Mm-hmm. And um, so the Army has a program where you can go to recover. Um, it's, it's a hospital program, medical program. So you're assigned to a hospital and you just kind of go through your treatments and try to recover to go back, to get fit to go back to duty. Right. Um, so I went there, I was there, I was suffering from a brain injury because I had a pretty nasty fall, yeah, and, and some other things. And while I was there, this assignment to Afghanistan came up and I wanted to go, right? So I, I volunteered to leave the program, got in all type of trouble because I, I said I wanted to leave, but it's a voluntary program. Right. So I voluntarily left that program and went to Afghanistan. It was supposed to be for nine months. Um, when I went to Afghanistan, two weeks before I was supposed to leave, we had an attack uh, where we lost about 35, 36 people. Wow. And uh, it was very, I, I didn't feel like I could leave at that point, right? So I was significantly hurt again. Um, and they wanted to send me back home. And I asked them not to leave because I was in charge of, of a team there. Yes. And I just couldn't leave my team. And I tell you why people say we well, are crazy, right? But my grandma had passed while I was there, and I um, I came to Jamaica for the funeral. They gave me emergency leave, and I came to Jamaica. And of course, I'm in Afghanistan, so I come to Jamaica. I'm a party up a little bit. Of and course, try to enjoy it. And I remember coming in from a party around five thirty, six o'clock, and I saw the news, and one of one of my um, fellow soldiers had passed, so he was killed in action. 
And I felt so bad, right? I felt so bad. Like, I think I cut my ticket short and went back early because I felt kind of hypocritical, you yeah. know? And I, and I felt this guilt. guilt. Yeah, this guilt of, you know, I'm here partying while, you know, despite that my grandma passed away. Um, but they give me extra time after the funeral and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, and so look I at what back. happened. Exactly. And so when this happened again, when the attack happened, I said, I'm not going to leave this time because of the guilt I had before. So I said, no, I'm going to stay. So when they tried to get me to go back to Germany, I said, I want to stay. Um, and I was close to the end of my deployment as well. I only had about 30 days. So I said, I want to stay. So I ended up staying um, another, another 30 days or so. Mm -hmm. Um, but we couldn't get any replacement, right? Because people hear what was going on because we were literally fighting every day. So people who were, who were supposed to come over to replace us, they'll come up with all different type of excuses not to come. What does that do to you? And the, the reason why I'm asking this is because as a civilian, yes, we have watched movies with Sylvester Stallone, Arnold yes. Schwarzenegger, you know, you can name The Rock, mm -hmm. all of these fantastic um actors who become the superheroes in the stories and there's war and there's action and for us it's entertainment yes for you fallen soldiers um you literally just said you're like fighting every day you yes. are losing people who you every saw day. this morning and you don't see this afternoon what uh, does that do to you when do you process grief how do you process do you process grief in a in a space and like a, like an army where you're expected to be mm -hmm. together. I think, and I think we were talking. And I shared a show, and I'll share it with you again. So the hardest part of being on that deployment, definitely the losses. Not so much the fighting and all that stuff. It's the mm -hmm. losses, right? Because you'll be sitting at breakfast with somebody, mm -hmm. and you'll be like, okay, whenever you come back in from mission, we're gonna play some table tennis, or we're gonna go, you know, watch a movie or whatever. And they never come back in. And that happens repeatedly, you know. So after a while, it just start, okay, how do I deal with this? And you can't, you don't have time to deal with it, right? So you're like, okay, once I get back home, I'll deal with it then. But it's going on now, right? And it's consistent. So it's just building up, building up, building up, building up. So you find out that you're, you're, you start to hurt way more than you expect. And you're waiting for a timeout and the timeout never comes. For the release. Yeah, there's no release because you have to keep going. There's no time to stop, right? Because you're literally in combat fighting every day. So um, it was hard. I don't know if I've really learned how to process grief, mm -hmm. um, even being back, but there's different things that I try to do and try to make an active effort in, in say, okay, this happened. Um, you know, what are the good things you remember about this person? What are the good things that came out of it? Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's taking a walk. Sometimes it's being by yourself. Sometimes it's, you know, doing different things just yeah. to get some form of relief. But I, to honestly answer your question, I don't know if I accurately know how to process grief. Either. No, and that's, a, and that's an honest answer. Yeah. The fact of the matter is that we're all very different and mm -hmm. we all process things differently. And yeah. for some of us, it's still a struggle to try to figure yes. out what works. Um, and I guess my next question to you would be, as you are trying to process and as you are mm -hmm. trying to heal, suffering from PTSD, because it's post-traumatic um, stress, right? How do you also preserve relationships uh, I wish I had found the answer to that question earlier because I've lost a lot of relationships because mm -hmm. of it. Because one, 
you don't know how to communicate to people what you're going through, right? Because sometimes you don't understand exactly what you're going through yourself. Mm -hmm. And then it's hard for people to really fully understand. I always tell people, if you haven't been to combat, it's, it's a whole different it's a whole different thing trying to explain it to you than you actually being there. Correct. And sometimes you don't want to share everything that you've experienced there. So now you're kind of have one foot in, one foot out type deal. And really to get a good communication, you need to give all the information, hmm. right? So I've always struggled with that. So when I came back, you know, it took me a while to even, you know, a lot of people think I was, because I was in Germany for about six months mm -hmm. in the hospital there. And when I came back, you know, I was here for about, I was in the U.S. for about, about a year before people know I was actually back. Because I just didn't want to deal with people. I didn't want people asking me, you know, what, what did you go through and of all course. that. So it took me a year before I started, you know, coming out and say, hey, I'm back, guys. Or, you know, so I just kind of, you know, moved somewhere else. I was in D.C. Mm -hmm. and I just stayed in D.C. And I'm primarily from New York. Right. You mentioned to me, um, well, I had asked you, you know, because mm -hmm. you were, we were, we were kind of talking offset. Mm -hmm. um, and I had asked, you know, are you married in terms of? How do you preserve it? And you said that you're you're divorced. What what would you have done differently? Would you have done anything differently now that you know, knowing what you know now? I think couples couple counseling. Um, it's something that you can't go through by yourself. They need to come. They need to hear. They need to understand what's going on. Mm. For them to just go off the the, the naked information and and it, it won't work. It has to be a joint effort. And mm -hmm. I think if one thing I could change would be that. Yeah. It'll be a couple couple therapy sessions, you know, and, and just having, hey, I'm not feeling this way today. I'm not I don't want to go to the mall. I don't want to do anything around the house. Just just give me some time. And if you see go past a day, then all right. But today is a bad day. And it's not for you to take it personally. Exactly. It has nothing to do with you. Nothing to do with you at all. It's just me. All right. So I don't want you to feel like any insecurity about my behavior right now. Nothing mm -hmm. to do with you. This is what's going on. And I think if you have that openness and that communication, then the, the ego is not into it, right? The, the anxiety is not in there as well. You remove that by having that open communication. So if there's one thing I could have done different, I would have done different, it would be definitely coupled counseling. So talk to me about what it is you wish, which is the crux of the matter. You want us to be able to have these conversations. When I say us, yes. I really, I, I know that it's, it's specifically being able to burst down these mm -hmm. barriers, yes. the stigma, yes. the stereotyping, the, um, oh, I want to go to therapy, and mm -hmm. your friend, I'm looking at you going, therapy, but therapy is for woman things. Yes. Yes. Or Definitely. you say, you know, you need to speak to a shrink. No, shrink is for mad people. Yeah, exactly. How can you, or how can, I mean, if we have young men who are watching right now, even now when we look at the news, we see our young men having issues with even conflict resol resolution yes yes no one's speaking no mm -hmm. one's reasoning no mm -hmm. one is talking but we know that there's hurting yes taking place so now is your chance to talk to me share with me share with our listeners mm -hmm. um what you think um, our men need going forward i think the the biggest thing is you have to get to a point where you don't care what other people think right that, that's the first thing. Absolutely. And I am really, really at that point where I don't care what you think. I'm, I need to get better before I can be the best me, <laughs> right? And you need to find something that's going to motivate you to get better. For me, it was my kids, right? So I don't care what anybody else thinks. I can't go to my kids and say, hey, I never got help because I didn't know what this person was going to think about me or 
my priority is to get better for them, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I think the first thing is like, you have to have that, just get rid of that fear of what people are gonna think. You have to get better. And I think it takes true bravery to really go out and seek help. That's where the true strength is, not hiding behind you know, certain things. It's actually going to get help. That's the true form of bravery because if you can't get help because of what you fear other people think about mm-hmm. you getting better, then that's, that's a sign of weakness, right? So I think definitely we have to understand that everybody, and I'm talking about me with military stuff, but there are different types of traumas, right? right? And they're all you, valid. They're all valid, right? I'm just sharing my story because I had a military experience and th- that was the gateway to me getting help. But it could, it could be as simple as a car accident. <laughs> you could be in a car accident and hear a car squeaking and you, you have PTSD from that, right? You could be hit by a white car, you see white cars and now you have trauma from white cars. There's different types of trauma. They all need to be recognized, acknowledged, so you could deal with them. Mm-hmm. And if you're trying to be a man and you're trying to be a good father or a good partner or just a good member in society, it's your responsibility to take care of your mental health. Absolutely. Do you, you, think, do you think the duality, um, being an army veteran or a military veteran, mm-hmm. do you think the duality sometimes feels like an oxymoron because you're expected to be tough? Yeah. and strong and gritty and mm-hmm. resilient and yes. you there's no form of weakness that should be shown and mm-hmm. yet on the other side with so many conversations being around you know mental health and mm-hmm. taking that mental check and being able to step back and say hey i'm not a hundred percent today isn't it hard for or do you think it is hard for soldiers to fence that that middle ground when so much rides on being respected or feared? I've done a lot in the military and I've gotten a lot of accolades and a lot of different awards. The hardest battle I've ever fought was get my mental health right. Hmm. So if you really want to see true, true bravery, true, true grit, mm-hmm. is getting your mental health right. A lot of people can't do that. You when know? you first attempted it, did you feel shame? Oh, definitely, mm. definitely. When I went to counseling, the first time I went to counseling, when I came back from Afghanistan, I couldn't sleep. I didn't sleep for about, this was my sleep cycle when I came back. I would be up until around 4.30 in the morning, right? I'll go to sleep from about 4.30. This is like clockwork. I'll go to sleep, my body will shut down around 4.30, 5 o'clock, and I'll sleep for about two hours. I get a nightmare somewhere around there, between 6.30, 7 o'clock, it'll wake me up, obviously. Um, sometimes it'll be, I'll, I'll be sweating really bad, so I'll have to get up and take a shower. Um, but I'll get up around, around 6.30 to 7, and I'll be up. And then I'll take a nap, like 1.30 to about 2.30 in the day, 2.30, 3 o'clock in the day. Those are spurts. And that's how. And you know how important sleep is, right? So that was my cycle for about eight months. Not only that, I was pretty... As you see now, as Andrew said, I need to speak up. This is my, this is my normal temperament. Like, this is pretty laid back, pretty chill. And the least thing that happened, I wanted to take it to an extreme. You want to pop off. Yeah, mm-hmm. the least mm-hmm. thing. The least thing is like, okay, you know, so I'm like, something's not right. You know, I, I, don't, I didn't enjoy anything. Anything that I enjoyed before, I did not enjoy it when I came back. I didn't want to do anything. Wow. Right? And all... Combine that with I was in a lot of pain, right? Because I was still recovering. My shoulder was going back from so being blown up. To, yeah, physically and mentally. Plus, I had the, the, the brain injury stuff going on. So it was just a crazy time. And I said to myself, you got to fix this, right? 
you have to fix this. So when I started off, I said, you know what, I am going to go to counseling. And when I went to counseling, it was a group session. I remember going the first time. And now I need any excuse not to be here, right? <laughs> because I, I shouldn't even be here in the first time. I'm telling myself, like, you know, like, you're a punk. Like, well, you, you know, counseling, yeah, why are you counseling? Like, yeah, this is for soft right? people. So I went to counseling, and it, it's a, I remember it was a group, and there was one particular person there, and they were saying they were having issues with their dog, you know, and as, as I said, trauma is trauma, mm -hmm. right? But she was saying she was having anxiety because of her dog, losing her dog, and I'm like, I don't need to be here, right? Yeah. Because the issues that I'm having is, because they come around, they're like, okay, so Damien, what, what is your trauma? And I was like, I'm going to scare these people if I say. <laughs> So I'm like, nothing I don't have, you know, I'm just here. And they're like, oh, you have to speak. And I'm like, no, you don't want me to speak, all right? And so I stopped going. I was like, see, find another excuse, right? You're not supposed to be there. But it kept getting worse. The dreams kept getting worse. You know, the issues, you know, the triggers mm -hmm. were getting worse. And I'm like, I got to do something. So I was, I would go, I was at the hospital, I was in Washington, D.C., but, you know, my family was in New York. So on the weekends, I would go back to New York to visit. and then come back to have to be back by eight o'clock on Mondays. Mm -hmm. So I left New York about <clears throat> probably two o'clock. I'm, I'm late. So I'm booking it. Right. I'm booking it. I'm speeding. And obviously, you know, a car is going to if you're speeding, a car is going to follow you. Right. Because you take the ticket. You know, of course, you. they're going to shadow you. Of course. And one of the things that would happen in Afghanistan was that the Afghan they would they would load these cars up with explosives and they'll just drive into you, right? So I lost a couple of friends like that. So the fact that this car was trailing me, That's I felt like they were trailing me, it triggered me like I was, I was, I stopped on the highway. It's a four lane highway, I don't think about 95 coming back. I stopped in the middle of the highway and the car stopped behind me, I don't know why. And I got out of the car to, to go get at the person I was driving. That is and the person watched me and drove off and I was like, now I'm stuck in the middle of this four-lane highway and cars are like, you know, honking and like, you know, I'm just stuck in the middle. Not on the side, I'm in the middle. And I got back in the car and I was like, I, I, I need get, some help. I gotta get some help. You know, I gotta get some help. So that's when I said, okay, I need a combat program. I need, I need to be around people, soldiers who've had combat issues. Yes. Mm -hmm. And when I found that group, I was able to start getting treatment and, and starting to open up because the guy to the right or the left of me did something similar to what I did or experienced something similar. And so that helped me a lot. Do you still have problems sleeping? Of course, of course. Definitely. It's not, it's, it's an ongoing thing. It's never, you know, you, you could get better, mm -hmm. but it doesn't completely go away. What are some of the best things that you learned, the practical tips that you learned that you are now applying? Um, that makes you, you well, clearly it's not something, as you rightfully said, that you just mm -hmm. get over. It's a, yes. it's a constant work. It's deep work. It's constant reinforcement. Um, but what are some of the practical things that you can say, hey, the moment I started to do this is the moment my, my anger or anything that was bottled up was now redirected? Definitely meditation. I start the day meditating. I have to. If it's even for 10 minutes, that, that completely could make a good day or a bad day bad day for me if I meditate so I definitely try to meditate I definitely try to get out and do things and and stuff like this volunteering helping mm -hmm. you know um, walks you know just being active taking on new challenges because there's this thing of like the need to have this adrenaline rush 
So I take that and I put it into something else. Right? Whether it's learning how to play golf or learning something, just try to learn something else. Just be active. Get your mind busy mm-hmm. so it's not, you know, idling and, and just going back to things. Mm-hmm. So, and also just having a clean diet as well. You know, it's a lot of what you eat has a lot to do with your mental health. And I had to figure that out um, along the way as well. Really? And yeah. in what ways have you changed your diet, for example? Definitely clean eating, no mm-hmm. seed oils, you know, limit sugars, um, no fast food, none of that stuff, you know. <laughs> no fast food. fast food. No, no fast food Damian, at all. <laughs> you had me there with you for the entire time, and I was like, just yes. Me, though. This is just me. Yes, and then when you said no fast food, I was like, <laughs> but, um, but I, I understand. You, you, you are, you feel how you eat as well. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, you know, for me, I say I was in the hospital for four years, and I couldn't do any type of physical activity, so I definitely had to change my diet. And I saw a difference in my sleep, mm-hmm. I saw a difference in my overall mood and, and you know and health mm-hmm. once I changed because I couldn't do anything I was Whoa. I was couldn't walk I couldn't use my shoulders were damaged everything from the explosion mm-hmm. so I had to like you know start find a different way start reading a lot um, you know just different things right um, and you mentioned earlier in terms of when you go through this kind of trauma and it's combat trauma and not having the tools and the knowledge of communication yes. or being able to say to your partner hey you know I need a I need a quick sec, I need a break, or to be completely open and vulnerable of, Mm -hmm. this is what I'm feeling, this is what I've experienced. Now that you are sitting where you are sitting now, going forward, Mm -hmm. when it comes to courting or or dating, how do you navigate that space now? Just being very transparent. Very transparent, you know, and just saying, no, hey, this is, you know, I've been through this. This is what I've been through, and, you know, and there are good days and there are going to be bad days, you know. And, and just like the person you're courting as well, mm-hmm. they have their own trauma. Everybody. I, I think one thing I've learned is that everybody's walking around with some form of trauma, you know. And the more you start talking, it makes, makes them more comfortable to talk as mm-hmm. well. So I might be talking about my PTSD. They might have lost a dog that they haven't gotten over when they were six, right? So, you know, as I said, it's just, it's just communication. And I am very confident in just my, my, myself and what I bring to the table and yeah. just my overall ability, right? And what about your kids? I'm very have they seen And have they seen the, the changes that you've made? I don't know if they were able to experience who you were when you came back or yeah, when you used so to visit. Yeah, I, I so was, I was very lucky. Like, I, my sisters, I have very strong family support. Mm-hmm. So they covered down a lot for me with my kids. So they didn't really get to see too much they got to see me on my good days, okay. you know. So okay. they were somewhat sheltered from, okay. you know, a lot of things. But that's because I had the benefit of a, a strong family Beautiful. support system. So Beautiful. Mm-hmm. What do you have to say to our boys and our men who are struggling? We hear more about suicide ideation. Yes. yes. We hear more about cutting. Yes. Um, we hear about gang violence, which is just, you know, a way of taking out your of course, anger on, of on people. Mm-hmm. We see a rise in bullying. Yes. Um, which are all forms of, of, of people being in just very bad mm-hmm. uh, mental states. Yes. Where do you think we go for, from? Where do you think we go now where, where, our, where our youngsters are, are concerned? I think the more we, we talk about this mental health and they see people who are influential um, role models talking about it as well. I think one of the issues I had, I I didn't see anybody Mm -hmm. talking about mental health that I could say, okay, but such and such is fine with it. They've been through it in there. 
I think as we as we grow and there's more light that's being shined on this this mental health situation. And I think once you find that mental clarity, you find out that's the best thing, right? Once you feel that 100%, well, I don't know if you could ever get to 100%, but once you feel that... With some that, sort of certainty. Yes, right? And once you understand that a lot of these things are coming from insecurities, right? Hmm. Gangs, bullying, all of that stuff. It's coming from your own mental issue. So if you could fix that, right, you're, you would see the growth and how much you prosper and, and succeed in all areas mm -hmm. of your life, right? But it starts there. Like physical is one, but mental is, is the greatest, greatest asset that we, I think we have. And once you fix that and you start seeing other things go away, because when you're doing these things, they're taken away from you being your best self. Absolutely. So to be your best self, your mind is the strongest thing. If you could get your mind right, you'll, you'll see and you'll understand, like, I don't need to wear certain type of clothes to feel fulfilled. I don't need to be in a gang to feel fulfilled. I don't need to beat up on somebody to feel fulfilled. Mm -hmm. Because now you are complete within yourself and you're in a better state and a better mind will give you better results. Understood. But that is the individual. Let us now talk about the bigger um, issue, which is the system. The culture. Yes. The societal pressure. The mothers and mm -hmm. aunties and grandmothers yes. who also help mm -hmm. to perpetuate what masculinity looks like and should yes. look like. And of course, the uncles, the dads, the mm -hmm. stepdads who also perpetuate what man are man yes. and man are tugs. It's one thing for the individual to try to mm -hmm. fix the mental state. It, it's much harder when the environment Definitely. almost encourages a certain kind of masculinity and encourages silence. How do we tackle that? And I know you're not going to have all the answers, but do you have I any think, solutions? Any? I think boys, are need, they need to be able to cry safely. They need to be able to express what they're going through safely. When I say safely, I mean without being jeered, without being mocked, without feeling less of a person because they're doing that. And it needs to be more effort to include mental health in their everyday activities, with mm -hmm. the school, um, you know, church, like in play, like it has to be where it's normal and it has to be normalized, mm -hmm. right? You can't, you can't say, okay, we're, we're working on mental health and you wait until they're in nine, 10, 11, 12. It's too late, start early. Let them understand like, hey, what day are you having today? How are you feeling? Did this make you upset? How do you feel about this? Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you wanna cry? It's okay to cry. It's okay to cry. Right? I'm not saying you're going to be weak and all that. It's, it's okay to cry for a reason, right? If you, if you just feel overwhelmed, because sometimes a lot, of, a lot of violence come from just trying to get stuff out, right? Because all this pent-up anger is inside our young boys. That's why you see all these fights in school and all these things, because they don't have an outlet. Mm -hmm. So we need, to, as a society, we need to have outlets. We need to be let them understand, hey, you can meditate. You know, let's, let's take five minutes, and they might not know what meditation is, eh, but let's take five minutes and, and just Let's disconnect for a while. And let's just breathe. Yeah, let's just, you know, take away for a little bit. And when they have issues, it's not, okay, this beating culture that we have, we need to work on that as well. Yeah, you know? talk more, reason yeah, more, talk, um, let's them, find hey, solutions exactly. more rather than the first thing is um, exactly. violence. You, you don't do this because this is how this makes this person feel. Mm -hmm. And this is how you should feel if you're doing that. So once we start talking to our boys like that, and so I let them know it's okay. It's okay to express yourself. 
a lot of grown men can't express themselves. Yeah. So it comes out in rage. You know, somebody steps on your on your shoe, you're gonna fight them and kill them over that, like because you never learn how to express yourself, right? So you don't know how to put out anger. You don't know how to do that. Yeah. So I think as a society, there is some type of responsibility to start educating our kids. I keep saying boys. I don't want to seem one-sided, but our kids in general. We need to find a way how to communicate and let them know how you can express yourself. Right, conflict resolution. Yeah. Um, what is the biggest lesson? What is the biggest lesson or what is the best advice you have ever gotten since you've been on this earth? Since I've been on this earth? Since you've been alive, absolutely. What's the best advice or the, be or the biggest lesson, whichever one? The best advice I've gotten is that tomorrow could always be better. Mm. So no matter what's happening today, tomorrow can always be better so you know you could be in a certain financial situation tomorrow it could change you could be in a certain mental position it could change tomorrow like we have to understand the benefit of time mm. right and not judge ourselves off what happened what's happening right now no correct. give it give it time things change right correct. and i think that's the biggest lesson that i keep with me you know a lot of people are like oh I'm late today, I'm gonna have a bad day. Like, for me, I've instilled a thing. It takes six bad things to happen before my days change. Change. Right? <laughs> and that's something that I've seen that I've instilled, and it's worked, cool. right? Because we have one thing that happened automatically, like, oh, it's gonna be a bad day. Our words are powerful, and time is powerful. And we have so to be careful what we speak we over ourselves. Exactly. I know that your circumstances or what you have experienced, what you have witnessed, yes. has been heavy. Mm -hmm. um, I think on a very large scale because of the intensity of your career, your yes. career choice. Yes. In all of this, in all that you have experienced, what priceless moment do you look at along your trajectory that makes you smile and go, yeah, that was an amazing moment for me? Oh, well, I gotta choose one. Uh, <laughs> oh, you have a lot. Oh, you, um, you have a lot. The one I'm gonna give is gonna seem a bit... Um, it might not be a happy moment, but it was a, it was a sheer form of compassion. Mm -hmm. And I, throughout everything, that's the one moment that I've always remembered. And it's always put a smile on my face, even though it wasn't a bad situation. So when I got hurt, um, so I was blown up twice, right? Wow. So it's the fact that you just kind of said that, like, yes, yeah, so remember I got blown up yeah, twice. Yeah, yeah. Like, so what? The first time when I stayed, I was yeah. in a lot of pain, so I was popping Motrin's to go on missions still, and I would take Tylenol at night to sleep, um, just to go through the, you know, because you, you gotta keep going. So my body built up like this immunity to, to painkillers. Mm -hmm. So when I got hit the second time, they were giving me morphine, they were giving me, it just wasn't working. So I was in a oh. lot of pain. And I remember sleeping, and I, and I was sleeping, and I felt like water hit my chest, right? Because you know, they had me hooked up, so I was without a shirt. And I was like, why, why is there water hitting my chest, right? Is the roof leaking, <laughs> right? What's going on? But I'm sleeping. And I wake up and it's this nurse, right? This medical nurse and um, this military nurse. And she is, she's crying over me, right? She's crying. Yeah, she's crying and her tears are hitting me in my chest. That's how hard. Wow. And she was like, even in your sleep, you're moaning in pain, right? And she's like, you you got to go home and take care of yourself, right? Wow. But she didn't know me from anywhere. Um, that was the first time. It's not like she was on the ward while I was there, and she, she, that was the first, first time I met her. 
And she's like, I read your chart and I saw you in pain the whole time you're sleeping, but you're moaning and crying in pain the whole time. And it made her cry. She didn't know me from anywhere, but just, just compassion. And I could, she was crying so hard, I could literally feel her tears hit me on my chest enough to wake me up out of my sleep. So I was like, that is That's compassion. A yeah, That's a yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a humanity exactly. moment. Exactly. Um, I absolutely understand. And my last question to you, in your words, through your lens, your perspective, mm -hmm. what is redirection to you? What's the definition of redirection to you? It's knowing that the path that you created for yourself is not necessarily a path you need to be on. <laughs> and finding the courage and the tools and the drive when life pushes you in another direction to take that path with, with zest and definitely just embrace it and say, okay, A didn't work out, but B, C, D could work out. Yeah. And no matter what, you know, at the end of the day, if I'm going to win, I'm going to win no matter the direction I'm going in. Absolutely, because tomorrow... Tomorrow, could be better. Tomorrow could be better. Could be better. Could be better. Damian Dixon. <laughs> Damian Dixon. I thank you for your time. We don't always get to hear stories like this, yes. especially as, as, as Jamaicans, as locals. We know Jamaicans doing big things all yeah. over the world. Yes. But we don't always get to hear this kind of story, um, sharing it f through, through your lens, through your experiences, mm -hmm. the loss that yes. you would have seen, colleagues who you would have grown with, trained with um, along the wayside, but understanding that your true wealth in this world is your mental health. Yes, it is. Definitely. And being intentional about it and then using your voice and taking the circumstances to become an advocate mm -hmm. for our people, but in particular our men, to start to take their mental health seriously, I think is definitely a redirection story that a lot of people we'll be talking about. I truly appreciate you having me. And I said, um, you know, the conversation starts now, you know, let's, you know, there's no, there's no shame. Mm -hmm. There's, there's no, nothing bad about trying to get right for whosoever it is. And that's your responsibility. And it's not easy, right? It's an ongoing process, but you owe start. it to yourself to start and not worry about what others think about you. I got you. Thank, Thank you. you so very much. I certainly hope that you guys enjoyed this conversation that I had with Damien. Of course, if you're listening across the podcast platforms, let us know what you think. Drop us the reviews, the ratings, and certainly if you're watching us on YouTube here, let us know in the comments what were your biggest lessons, takeaways, your biggest aha moments. And of course, if you, th if you know someone who you know may need help or you believe that this episode might help a young man or a young woman, but in particular our young men who might be struggling, certainly share this episode with them. We will see you next week. Thanks to our partners, MasterCard, Heineken 00, Toyota Jamaica, Spaces, Commercial Concepts, Bresche, Beauty Brands by MDS and Go Shore Courier.